0: Welcome into the 10th episode of a sports podcast that captures everything you want to know as the buzzer sounds at the end of any sports game. It's Will Farlow here with you this evening on March 27, 2018, welcoming listeners to the 10th episode of Will's 5th Quarter Special. I'm here tonight with my guest co-host, Mike Marshall. So, Mike, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while, but it's a pleasure to finally have you on here, man.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be on. I'm glad you asked me, and I'm glad we can make it work.
0: Yeah, no, I know we do a lot of work uh, around campus, so we had to find some time here. Yeah, it's going to be perfect. We are going to touch on various key subjects, starting with the ISU softball team beginning their season in conference play, as well as baseball in the 2017-2018 season. A big question for the softball team is how can they bounce back after their two-game split last weekend against at, on the road against Southern Illinois. The Redbird baseball team fell in two games to Creighton at home this past weekend, and after their victory against Western Illinois, how can they? Uh, fair this weekend as they host the Southern Illinois Salukis at Duffy Bass Field. The Chicago Bulls signed Sean Kilpatrick, the shooting guard, to a three-year deal Monday. How does he factor into the team's future? As the season continues to wind down in the NBA, where can we expect the Chicago Bulls to end up in the upcoming 2018 draft lottery? The 2018 opening day is upon us for Major League Baseball. So how could the strong spring for the young Chicago White Sox help the team in their season opening series against the division rival Kansas City Royals? The Chicago Cubs on the other side of town have an improved identity with their pitching. How can that prove to be a positive test as the Northsiders open their season in 2018 against the Miami Marlins? And, Mike, we're going to close with uh, Will's Sports Movie Moment, a uh, fan favorite here. So we're going to start first with a big uh, big story in IHU sports. It's a very somber note. I didn't have the pleasure to watch this young man played for the Redbirds. I wish I could have, but we at Will's fifth quarter special would like to grant our sincerest condolences to the friends and family of former IFC Redbird and NBA G League player Zeke Upshaw uh, due to his death this week. Upshaw fell during the closing minutes of his last NBA G League game. He leaves behind a lasting impression for the fans at Illinois State as he spent time as a Redbird player under head coach Dan Miller from 2010 to 2013. Upshaw is a player that represented the hardworking sportsmanlike play that allows fans to continue to enjoy watching collegiate basketball day after day. Zeke's memory will forever be with those lives that he touched. So Mike, that's a, I want to get your take on it first. Uh, I didn't really have a question planned for this cause it's a really hard thing to talk about, but just give me your thoughts on what happened.
1: Well, first off, uh, you know, 26 years old is just way too young to, to leave this world. Uh, You know, the people that he touched, I mean, you've seen that uh, Dan Muller came out with a statement. Uh, Former ISU coach Tim Jankovic came out with a statement and, you know, they all said the same thing. He was a really great great guy, Uh, you know, everybody he was around always loved to be around him. Uh, He came to to practice and game day with, you know, the right mentality, you know, approached everything the same way. Uh, And actually, uh, Dan Muller was talking about how, you know, when he played for ISU, he wasn't playing many minutes. Uh, yet he still came to uh, he came to the court with you know the mentality that he was a starter. And I think that goes to show you what kind of person he was. I you know, obviously, this is before we were both here at Illinois State. Uh, so we didn't get the chance to work with him, so I did not know Zeke on a personal level. Uh, but the last thing that I know that I'll mention about him was uh, you know, I saw the video. Uh, of him collapsing on the court and, you know, to just see. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. I didn't know I saw it too. It was, I didn't know what to say. No, man, it, it's hard to put into words. I was talking to a lot of people about it. And to just see, you know, a body lay there lifeless on the on, on the court like that. Uh, and, you, and you hate to be so cliche with the saying, you know, you, you know, don't ever take a day for granted. Oh, no, I, I wa- believe that all yeah, the time. I agree. And, you know, it really makes you think, you know, not to take a day for granted. You know, the guy was playing basketball. It wasn't like, a, you know, an accident outside Uh, you know outside in the world you know he wasn't walking he didn't you know get struck by a car it wasn't anything freak like it was a freak accident but it was you know it was on a basketball court of all things and so uh, it really makes you think and obviously as you said well our condolences go out to Zeke's family uh, his friends and and all his teammates uh, past and present and uh, you know it's a really sad story on the campus of Illinois State this week. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you said,
0: Mike. So well said. I know you guys over at the Vedette did a lot of – you guys always do great coverage in sports. But Thank you. this one was a very uh, big note. And I actually had the pleasure to interview Dan yesterday. yesterday. Uh, not about this. It was about something else that the listeners will hear about down the road, yeah. of course. But um, just you could tell by how much Zeke meant to him. And I, it made me think, you know, uh, you know, that one liner I mentioned there, it's – To me, it's those type of players that make college basketball what it is. I think last year, we talked about that 28-win Redbird team. This is just a closing note from what I noticed. You were talking about how he didn't play many minutes. Something I noticed, Javaka Thompson could almost be compared in that similar light of where Zeke's Mm -hmm. playing ability was. He didn't get played much, but he was like that vocal leader, it seems like, from what you're telling me. So I think there's a lot that he has left behind for the Redbirds. I think it could be – we talk about on campus and just in the media today – Loyola's doing really good, but, you know, questions for ISU next year, what happened this year. I think this is going to be – and I'm going to I'm gonna predict this right now. This is going to be what turns this young ISU team to a strong start next year. Yeah, the
1: motivation of, uh, you know – Performing well for uh, you know Upshaw and his memory, I I think will build well for the team, and and I think it's you know something that uh, you know does spark a team's you know magical season, magical run, and so I I think you're right. I think that's a it's a strong possibility, but again, you know just just a sad uh, a sad week on campus, but but certainly uh, he left behind a good lasting uh, memory here for Illinois State. Couldn't agree there more, Mike, and I know you're excited about it.
0: We've talked a lot on the last few episodes of this show, finally talking baseball as a Sox fan. I love talking <laughs> baseball and uh, we finally get to talk about it collegiately, but we're going to mm-hmm. start with softball. You know, the IC softball team, they they're defending their conference title. I mean, you and I covered quite a bit of those mm-hmm. games last year, the third youngest team in the Valley, just really impressive. Coach Linda Fisher's in, I believe it's her 33rd this 33rd. year. Thank you. Okay. 33rd. i um, glad I had that one down. Um, <laughs> Just the way this team's playing. The pitching. I know one pitcher I'm watching right now. Uh, now Sarah Fink's great. She's she's like oh, the quote unquote. Cri- exactly. Mm-hmm. You got you got to it right there. Morgan Day had a really interesting game. Now she didn't get the win she was looking for. I believe it was against the Florida Gators. Right. Uh, Not conference play. You know, it, it it's like collegiate sports. You know, you don't know what to expect with um, the teams you play in the tournament here right now in basketball, but in softball, it's interesting to talk about how you face those top teams. Teams in the Valley are facing teams like Florida and Arizona. And I believe I talked to one of the players. that faced
1: Oklahoma just a while ago who was –
0: Two-time title winners, I yeah, think, from what I've heard.
1: Very good team. You know, all those are very good teams. I mean, Melinda Fisher is known for scheduling, you know, those tough opponents every single season. Um, and, and, you know, this year they kind of took their they took their lumps. I, I, you know, I thought they would have a better non-conference slate, but when you look at the new additions to the team, uh, you look at a few players who are in different positions. Uh, one of them is Alyssa Wiebel. You know, she went from third base to center field now. Um you know, a little bit of a different lineup, obviously, without Jordan Delos Los Reyes uh, behind the plate and hitting, uh, you know, in that 3-4 spot in the lineup. That's a big that's a big hole for them. And, uh, you know, so I think they're adjusting well, but, you know, there's nothing uh, that that non-conference schedule uh, hasn't prepared them for in Valley play. So I, I think, they'll they're going to start to turn it around in as many seasons as Melinda Fisher has had. You know, I'm sure this start is not foreign to her. I'm sure she knows how to deal with this. Uh, she knows how to deal with a younger team, a new team, uh, and honestly, you know they've got that big uh, target on their back, as you mentioned, defending NBC champs. I mean, they were picked to finish first in the Missouri Valley Conference, and I think they're gonna, you know, I think they're gonna turn around. I think this is a really good team, as you mentioned, Sarah Fink, you know, very good inside the circle, but Morgan Day uh, has been absolutely incredible for him. She really looks like one of those college softball pictures. Nice body build, good uh, speed uh, on her pitch, yeah, especially. She's got great pitches, you know, a lot of movement on those pitches. Uh, You know, she throws her fastball hard. She can throw it for a strike. And, uh, you know, she's really, I I think she kind of ties in that weekend, uh, you know, two-man rotation between her and Sarah Pink. You know, I think they tie that thing together uh, really, really nicely. And I I think this team is is on the brink of kind of turning it around. I think uh, splitting at Southern Illinois this weekend was, uh, was huge. I mean, obviously, you pick up your first Missouri Valley Conference win. Uh, and i think it kind of spark plugs you into this weekend. Sadly in two cancellations of course yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> you like to watch more games. Yeah, the Illinois weather doesn't help us out too much here. No, and uh, i think one of my big questions for
0: this team, you know, it's a pleasure to watch the United States softball team and just as a sports fan, i'm just going to say it again, you know, just on this show just to get it out to the listeners. I know a lot of people check out women's collegiate sports, but i'd like to see them check out this team more. I mean, i've seen we've seen it with volleyball their seat's open. Their seat's open at Mary Kinnear as well. Now, it's great to see fans come out and see the team at Duffy Bass, but go on over to the field right next door, another great team. So just my opening, my my only question here, you know, you kind (laughs) of read my mind on a few points there. Very good we're thinking alike there. great minds think alike. Uh, So they, they face Indiana State coming up. So, when you have a start of conference play, now they got the win 6-0 to on Sunday against the Salukis, if, bouncing back from a 6-3 loss. You know, when you have a team that has two cancellations, now Southern Illinois is facing that as well, but for the ISU, it was a different point on the road. I mean, they they had to adjust to the weather conditions, but also playing on the road starting conference play. You know, that's not an easy thing to do for any team. No. We saw ISU have to deal with that against Evansville in basketball this year, and I think it just it's so much credit to Melinda Fisher. I want to give a lot of credit as well. You were touching on the outfield, so we were moving to outfield. It's a very key move. A little Joe Madden action going right. under Melinda mm-hmm. Fisher's eye there. Perfect. Love to see that. But I'm a key believer of good infield approach, and I love the way that de- team plays defense. Allison Spence is a player I'm watching this year as well, but the senior player to watch on this team is Riley Strangard. Oh, Shortstop yeah. is a very important position. We've seen a lot of good shortstops play against the Redbirds in softball, baseball for the baseball team. But I think for me, Riley Stranger is a player to watch. But just going into Indiana State, what are you hoping they can do against them in their home opener for conference play?
1: Well, I would like to see them. Obviously, you don't want to put too big of a, a goal uh, for the weekend. But, you know, you'd like to see them take all three games. You know, it's your first uh, – it's the first time you're home all season. I mean, and you're already, you know, 30 games in. Uh, so, you know, you're finally getting to play at home. I uh, I, I haven't been I haven't you know been able to look at the weather but I, you know I think it's supposed to be nice enough to get the games in uh, so hopefully they can get the games in uh, and you know I I would like to see them take three uh, you know Indiana State's a team that well that'd are, be great yeah, yeah. they were able to beat Indiana State uh, in the series last year that they had uh, which was obviously was uh, in Terre Haute Indiana uh, so I don't think there's a reason why they uh, shouldn't you know go into Marin Care uh, this weekend. Uh, and at least take two or three. I think if if that's your goal, if you're if you're Melinda Fisher and her squad is at least take two or three, uh, because then that just you know you're you at least build on your first Missouri Valley Conference win. The weekend prior at SIU, and and, you know, kind of just bouncing off what you said about Riley Strangard in the infield. You know, that middle infield for Illinois State is is really, really good. Uh, When you look at Riley Strangard at at uh, at short, and then you look at uh, Alex Cleve at second, the two of them make a a deadly double play duo. Uh, Allison Spence, obviously another returner from last year, playing first base, still very, very good. Um, and, and, you know, those are the three returners uh, in, the, uh, in the infield for, those, for that team. And, you know, I, I think that they're a very strong team. They're, they have a great lineup, and I think, uh, I think this might be one of the weekends that they are able to put uh, something together. And as we mentioned, Mike, the weather is still uh, being a little tricky <laughs> this time of
0: year, not mm-hmm. what you'd like to see with baseball or any softball games. The Redbirds will open the three-game set, as you mentioned. It is three games. Hopefully they get all three. The Friday game begins at 4 p.m. at Marion Stadium. Hope to see a lot of people turn up there. And a nice early tip-off on Saturday at noon against NESA. That's Game 2. Game 3, Saturday at 2.30 p.m. at Marion Caneer. So three Valley games right there. And an interesting one for the fans to check out. The following week, we are facing the University of Illinois right down the road Mm -hmm. a little bit. And uh, we will be hosting them at Bloomington-Arlewell, the right side of the track. So... uh, (laughs) That game tips off April 4th, Wednesday, at 5 p.m. Now going over to the other side of Illinois State sports this evening. We're going to talk about the ISU baseball team. Now, Mike, I know you covered a little bit of the games against Creighton this weekend. A lot of interesting matchups there, but the Redbirds weren't able to pull the uh, two games out. They they lost the second one 7-5, to five, and the first one was not pretty.
1: No, no. 5-1, to one, I believe. No, and, and I actually... Uh... And you know, obviously, you could, you 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 could, we could debate this, but I actually think that the second loss was worse than the first one. Uh, you know, obviously the score was closer, but they had a five to one lead. They had a five to one advantage, and then uh, Creighton comes back with six unanswered runs, and uh, you know, kind of sinks ISU there. Um, and, and I think that's kind of, you know, it, it's hard to say. Uh, if it, it was a deflating loss, but that's certainly one that you might look back on and you know wish you would have grabbed uh, later on in the season. Obviously, they bounced back today with a win at Western Illinois, so obviously it didn't deflate them too much. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you know when you look at those games against Creighton, it kind of seemed like. The bullpen was a bit of an issue. The uh, starting pitchers, uh, I believe, were a combined, uh, it was, I think it was a little over 11 innings of shutout baseball. And that's all you can ask out of your starting pitching is you know to go out there and give your team a chance to win, and they certainly did that. Uh, and then obviously in, in the first game, you didn't see much offense. And then in the second game, the bats woke up a little bit more. Uh, but you know I know Bo Durkak was talking about how he would like to see his team uh, get more hits with runners in scoring position. He, I believe the only one that they had with runners in scoring position this past weekend was Noah Sadler. I think other than that, the other ones kind of just came on taking an extra base. Um, but, yeah, I, I think their team, another team headed in the right direction. Um, you know, you look at their record this year as opposed – uh, this year at this time as opposed to last year at this time, uh, and it's a complete 180. I mean, it's not even the same team uh, at all. And, obviously, it's a lot of the same guys. It's a lot of the same guys on the roster, but I think this team's kind of mature a little bit. Uh, and I think they're ready to take the Missouri Valley Conference by storm. And, you know, when you look ahead, you have Southern Illinois this weekend, and then the following weekend, you know, you welcome in Dallas Baptist. So this team's That's a big be, one. Yeah, they're, they're going to be tested here early, and I think you're going to really see what this team is all about. And I, I think you're going to see a good, good team. Yeah, as you touched on there, there's a
0: team that's continuing to grow. We saw them play very well in the conference tournament, and they, they had a lot of losses last year. I believe it was 31 in the 30s, yeah. and mm-hmm. but had a lot of young players, and that when I was new to the ISU sports last year as a student here, you just, you love baseball, but for me, it was kind of an open book, you know, you want to grow with this team as a right. fan, you want to see what they can do and put together, and... They're opening against Southern, they're playing Southern Illinois at home. Now, they just played Creighton at home. There are a lot of fans braving the cold weather out there. You love to see fans uh, endure that weather for for their team. And they're playing the Salukis. The Salukis have played them pretty well. We saw Western especially. I was very impressed by that victory today as last year when they played at Duffy Bass. Western put up a really good fight, so Mike... What would you like to see
1: uh, the Redbirds continue to do
0: in early conference play against Southern Illinois after today's win? Uh,
1: you know, honestly, I, it might sound weird, but I, I don't really care what happens with the bats. Uh, I think you, you, I think if you're you know Illinois State and Bo Dirkac, you want to see the pitchers continue to do well. Uh, I think the biggest thing is you want to see your starters continue to do well especially your Friday night and Saturday starters I think you want to see them go out and have good performances again give your team a chance to win and then I think you want to you know bring guys in from the bullpen and I think you want to see them succeed as well um, and that and if that means it's a two to one win a three one win whatever it may be, uh, you know, I, I would like to see the pitchers uh, kind of come out and kind of solidify themselves on the mound, and uh, you know, kind of show that they're you know they're in it to win it. Because right now, that kind of seems to be the, uh, the Achilles heel of this team early on is the bullpen. And uh, so, I'd like to see the pitchers do well. And if and if they can do that, I think they're going to have a really good chance to beat Southern Illinois.
0: As you touched on, Mike, there's a lot of young pitchers, and something I'm really interested in. There's a lot of good young arms in mm-hmm. that rotation yes. bullpen. As you mentioned. Definitely will grow. It's still early in conference play. I believe yeah. it will grow a great amount. What is a key
1: pitcher you have your eye on to do really good this year? One of the young pitchers. What do you think? I think Matt Walker. Uh, there's something about uh, you know his all-around game. You look at last year, he kind of uh, made a name for himself towards the end of the year. Uh, he's the second uh, man in the rotation uh, this year. And uh, I, I really do think that uh, he's one of the guys you need to look out for as far as uh, pitchers in this rotation. And, uh, you know, obviously last year, you know, a, a young kid coming into a Division One program. And, you know, again, the, the Valley, very, very tough uh, conference as far as all sports go. But a tough baseball conference. You look at who's the top. Uh, you know, you look at Missouri State, you look at Dallas Baptist, you know, those those two teams alone uh, make for, you know, six tough games. And you still got, you know, the rest of the games that uh, are, are even tougher uh, just because it is the Valley. And, you know, teams in this in this league are very, very good. And uh, so, I, you know, you saw the young Matt Walker kind of step up last year. And I think he's going to do the same this year. So that's my one pitcher that I would like to see uh, to do well and solidify his name even further uh, in the rotation this year. Not to use too many puns here this
0: evening, my But let's hope Matt Walker and the Redbirds walk into a really <laughs> good setting this weekend as they face the Southern Illinois Lukeys. Now, going into the topic, all fans and sports and the listeners here are most excited for it is the NCAA Final Four. Now, Mike, I'm I'm a I'm a true Redbird supporter. It's kind of hard to cheer for a team in the conference, yeah. but it's hard not to. Right as the Loyola Ramblers are just they're defining what a Cinderella team is, but yeah, also really the state are. of Illinois. I believe it's. It's been a while since we saw an Illinois team in the Final Four. I mean, we saw Northwestern last year do really good, but Loyola and Porter Moser, they're just taking it by storm. So, you know, with a Cinderella team like Loyola and Mike it to the Final Four, what does it say about what we can expect in the upcoming games early in the Final Four? I mean, they're facing Michigan, C3. They've been able to upset. Why don't you give me a little insight on what you think Loyola can do?
1: Well, I I think they're very good. And the one thing that they've done all tournament long is they have not beat themselves. Uh, The one thing you've seen... Uh, as you've seen buzzer beaters from three different guys. Uh, you've seen, uh, I believe it is, four different leading scores in, in the wins that they've had. And, uh, you know, they share the ball really, really well. And that's the one thing that I think uh, maybe separates them from maybe some of these other teams. Uh, you know, you're not going to see a guy score, you know, 35, you know, each night, uh, you know, kind of like you saw Newman do for Kansas uh, against Duke. But I, I really think that, you uh, and i said it all along. I had them beating Miami, but I did not have them going much farther than that. But I think what's really been, you know, a key to their success is when you look at their starting, their their, their stat sheet, uh, five of their players average double figures, but their leading scorer is Clayton Custer with, I believe it's just under – uh, 14 points a game. So if your leading scorer is only scoring 13 points a game, that's really showing that your team is, is spreading the ball around. Spread, team chemistry, exactly, yeah. Exactly, spreading the wealth. And so I think that's what they do really, really well. Uh, this matchup, though, is pretty intriguing to me. Uh, Loyola, Michigan. Uh, you know, Michigan uh, hired uh, Luke Joklich. Former over, ISU, yep. yeah. And so, you know, Joklich has obviously seen Loyola plenty of times. Uh, he's He knows Porter Mosier. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be fun. And the one thing that, you know, was always uh, interesting about you, Luke Yaklich was that uh, he's a defensive-minded guy. And, uh, I, I, you know, you know he's going to have some sort of game plan for the Ramblers. Obviously, you know, you're in the Final Four. You got the national championship on the line. Uh, so I think Mosher's going to have his best game plan of the year. Yakwitsch is going to have his best game playing in the year, and I think you're going to see a fun, fun game. Uh, I think Loyola's going to keep it close, but unfortunately, I, I think the clock strikes midnight for the Cinderella uh, on, uh, on Saturday uh, Saturday night.
0: Yeah, no, I, I have to go with you on that. I read a little bit into Yakwitsch, you know, Redbird fans, so you got to read mm-hmm. up on your uh, former coaches. I love defense. I like also seeing what you touched on, just to clarify my views on it. Loyola spreading the ball. Whenever I play basketball for fun with friends or I watch a game, that's what I want to see. I think Mueller, a little, little uh, interesting fact for the listeners here. I uh, My first interview with Dan Mueller, Mike, uh, he didn't refer to ball handling and handling the ball as that. He used the words ball care. So I'm going to use yeah. those words. Very well worded yeah. by Coach Mueller. I think Loyola's care taking care of the ball pretty well, but I have to go with Michigan too. But the team I have supported this whole tournament, I think that I learned a bit about their Coach Jay Wright last year. Just seeing what he was able to do against North Carolina is just speaks volume to what he's doing for that program, that city, that team, with those guys, young mm-hmm. group of players there. I think Nova's going to come out on top in this tournament. Now, there's a lot of good teams still here for the Final Four. It's still beginning. So it could be anybody's game. That's what I love about the tournament. I'm yeah, sure you can agree with me there. Yeah,
1: Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Anybody can win at anybody and any given night.
0: So I think we're going to have to paint a uh, mock view of the Final Four bracket for the listeners here. Let's do our own here. So Perfect. You uh, have Michigan going against Loyola. Okay. I'm going to go Villanova over Kansas. So,
1: Mike, you get the big question here: Villanova or Michigan? Villanova. In your final two. Vill- Villanova. Um, there's just something about that team. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Obviously, Jay Wright's a very, very good coach. Uh, they're guard heavy. They play fast. And you know, again, a team that kind of shares the ball well. Uh, but you see, you know. Obviously, they're led by who I think should be the, the college basketball national player of the year in Jalen Brunson. You see how impressive, yes, so impressive. You, you see how good of a point guard he is. Distributes the ball, but he could score. He could shoot. He plays defense. Uh, he's he's really a prototype. little Paris Lee there. Yeah, he's he's very very good. And I think that Villanova is just going to be way too much for uh, for Michigan to handle uh, in in that one. And and so I say Villanova is back on top uh, with a win over Michigan. You guys have it there. As we mentioned, the
0: Final Four is beginning in San Antonio. A lot warmer for uh, sports (laughs) fans down there, so we're happy for them. The games will start with the Loyola-Michigan matchup. Loyola is seeded at 11. Michigan seed three. They face off March 31st at 5.09. Following that will be the seed ones facing off the game. A lot of fans will be waiting for, as you call it, in boxing the heavyweight game of the night. Seed 1 Kansas will take on Seed 1 Villanova. As we touched on, we will continue to keep you posted on all things NCAA. So stay in touch with our social media pages here, listeners. We will keep you posted. Mm-hmm. Now going into the professional sports segment, Mike, we're going to start with the Chicago Bulls. So a big a surprise signing to me. I mean, this is a team that's rebuilding, but... They're uh, they made a move, and uh, it really shocked a lot of fans, I believe, on Monday. As veteran shooting guard Sean Kilpatrick, former Brooklyn and former Milwaukee Buck, now joining the Chicago Bulls on a three-year, six-point-two million-dollar deal. So, Mike, how does the addition of Kilpatrick maybe help the Bulls in their
1: rebuild direction? What do you think? Uh, I think he he's a great bridge guy. Uh, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be here long term. When you look at kind of where the Bulls are heading as a franchise, you know you're, they're going to get a little bit younger, a little bit more athletic. Obviously, they say that every year. Got Love Garfek saying that's, that. That's that's <laughs> the joke is that you know they always say that, and then you know like you go sign D Wade. Uh, but I I think he's a good bridge guy. He's a guy that can come into the locker room, uh, you know, help some of these younger guys out that you know maybe have only spent a year or two in the league, uh, and anybody else who's coming in now uh, after the NBA draft. Uh, he's a guy that can kind of show them the ropes. And I think you know, he, you look at the teams he's been on, uh some have struggled, some have, have seen some success, but you know, ultimately when you look at the Bucks and the Nets, you know, it's a guy who who has seemingly struggled and you know there there might be a chance that he sees, you know, the turnaround of the Bulls. You know, I I would not be surprised if after that 3-year deal is up, he maybe signs another 1-year, 2-year deal with the Bulls depending on, you know, what direction the organization wants to go, but I think he's a I think he's a good fit for now. Uh, you know, he he's a guy that, like I said, is a bridge guy. He'll he'll teach these guys, you know, a lot of things and uh, can show share some experiences and uh, and obviously that's a guy that they get to practice in against and practice. You know, every single day that they get to see him. So learn from experience. So exactly. Yeah. Learn from experience. Get to play against him and you know go up against a veteran. That way, when you go out on the floor. Uh, you know, it's not so foreign to you. You know, you've seen stuff that a veteran in the NBA is going to do. And so I I like the signing. I think it's good for a young team, a young Bulls team, you know, trying to rebuild. And and I think it can only improve the team, Uh, maybe not this year or next year, but certainly in the future, uh, I think the signing really, really helps.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more there, Mike. Veterans are really important. And, you know, the Bulls have a lot of questions right now. Zach Levine is still unsigned. He's going to be coming in as a restricted free agent. You know they have a good core going in, I believe, and I've, I'm going to say it again. I'm just want to get your view on it. Could you see a core four of Laurie Markkinen, Zach Levine, Chris Dunn? Maybe we don't know where they're going to pick, maybe right. point in the draft, mm-hmm. but uh, Markkinen,
1: Levine, and Valentine. What do you think of those three? I, I I like it. I hope that's how it works out because especially you know Denzel Valentine being a Michigan State guy, a lot of us Midwesterners have certainly seen a very lot great of player. Yeah. And so I would like to see that. Uh, the only thing is, that I feel like the first person to go out of that, you know, core four would probably be Valentine. You see, uh, you know, earlier in his career, he didn't play very much. You've seen him struggle a little bit here this year with some key turnovers that have cost the Bulls some games. Um, but I think he he's only got a higher ceiling than what he's than what he showed. Um, and, and I like I think that that'd be if they could grab that those guys and make a core four. Uh, I think could be very, very successful. But, it, you know, the thing about the NBA and especially the Bulls is you never know what route they're going to go on draft night. Mm-mm, not uh, at all. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see one of those guys get moved. And I think kind of as you mentioned, you don't know what route they're going to go. So maybe, maybe Dunn gets moved again. I, I wouldn't predict that. But you, I would expect to probably see Denzel Valentine on the move at some point, especially depending on where the Bulls draft. Um, but if you could get those guys as a core four um, – <coughs> I think the Bulls will be in very, very good shape as far as the future. Yeah, and just a closing question on the Bulls there, Mike. A question a lot of fans. It's been in the
0: Chicago sports media a great deal this week. The NBA draft lottery. Now, it's not th- this coming next month. That'll be the M- NFL draft. But mm-hmm. in a few months here, the Bulls are going to be picking. Now, they've been slated in a lot of mock drafts at eight. Not a bad spot for a rebuilding team. The Their tank mode. Right. You know, sadly, uh, Nikola Mirotic uh, halted yeah. that a little bit. I know I'm <laughs> too happy about that, but... Where would you? Where do you see the Bulls finishing in the draft lottery? Where the record is, they have a decent amount of tough games left, but they're close to some of those higher teams.
1: Yeah, and you look right now. You know, tonight they play the Rockets, a very, very tough game. Um, I think they'll. I think they'll drop down a little bit more. I think they'll probably be a six, seven, or a five. I think you'll probably find them in that range. Uh, and obviously, you know, in a draft like the NBA, you really hope they you know slide as far down as possible. So I you know fans are crossing their fingers. Or, you know, if it's that, if you know, if it's this scenario I just put up, you know, you're hoping for a fifth, a, the uh, the fifth pick of the draft. Uh, but I think they'll probably fit, sit somewhere like six or seven, because, um, like you said, they do have a couple tough games coming up where I'm, you know, I'm sure they'll lose. Uh, you know, no disrespect to the Bulls, obviously, but you know, when you're facing some of these veteran NBA teams that are just really, really good and in Aaron groove, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. Exactly. And uh, so I think they'll pick six or seven, and uh, you know as a bulls fan that's frustrating because at the beginning of the year you know you were trying to figure out if they were going to be one two or three and now they're all the way up to to eight so it's kind of frustrating especially because you were hoping that they would tank and you know then all of a sudden they rattle off a bunch of wins but uh, you know I, I think some fans will take that because you know obviously in the NBA draft there's a lot of talent uh, and as long as you have somewhere in the first top ten you'll probably get a good draft pick and so I think they'll sit like I said six or seven.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see the Bulls right there, Mike. Now we're going to go into baseball professional. I know you're really excited about that, but we're going to we're gonna start with the White Sox first. You know, there's uh, a lot of interesting stuff we can say about both teams. Uh, the White Sox have their 2018 season beginning, but they are on the other side of where the Cubs are at. The Cubs are on the end of where a rebuild works, mm-hmm. and the White Sox are using that blueprint. You, you like to see that, you know, one side of town helping out the other side with a little blueprint yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ricky Renteria coming over to us. I think yeah. uh, I love the saying that the Sox have now. Uh, Ricky's boys don't quit. I think yeah. that's really cool. Um, but they have a lot of prospects, and I'm sure you used this as a Cub fan. You you got to watch the prospects grow, yeah. see what the team is doing, see the fans just surround this right. team even more. And the White Sox have a lot of prospects being featured. You know, Michael Kopech I believe has grown a lot. Gio Hito is definitely one to watch. Uh, Yo Moncada, Luis Robert, We've wanted to see a lot of him and Eloy, but they're facing the Kansas City Royals. Now, the Royals are in an interesting spot. Just a few years ago, they were competing for a right. World Series there. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, they let Eric Hosmer go, Lorenzo Cain's out the door. They they still have a team, right. but I don't see them being as competitive, just kind of where the Sox are. Now, they're going to be competitive teams, competitive games, but I think both these teams, it's going to kind of be like we're going to see a similar thing from both teams. But
1: right. what would you like to see the Sox do against Kansas City Royals to open their season? Oh, man, I'd, I'd like to see them compete. Uh, you know, I know my my brother's a big White Sox fan, so he's been following the rebuild. Shout out to him. Yeah, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I think he would just like to see them compete. You know, I know there's there are a few deflating losses, series losses for the Sox, you know, over the last two, three uh, seasons. So I think if they go out, you know, take a game or two in the series, um, I think that's a win for the White Sox. Because obviously it's the middle of the rebuild, and this is kind of when – uh, as a fan, you kind of got to grind this one out. You know, you got to wait for the prospects to develop. Obviously, Eloy Jimenez is a big one. Robert's is a big one. Uh, Moncada is obviously going to be on the Major League roster and, you know, showed a lot of promise last year. Giolito is going to be... I believe one of the best pitchers in the American League at some point, maybe not this year or next, but at some point he's going to be the top of the American League. Uh, And I think you just got to give this thing some time. So if the White Sox can go out, take a game or two in the opening series uh, and show that they have a little promise and show that, you know, they're not all talk. And that, you know, at some point they are going to be the talk of the American League Central again. uh, I think that's a win for White Sox fans. And that's all I think you can hope for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, we're talking a lot about players to watch for here. Now,
0: I'm a big Tim Anderson fan. I think he's going to have a really good bounce back year. We talk about we were just talking about how uh, players are dealing with issues and situations, you know, with uh, what happened to Zeke Upshaw. Mm-hmm. and a lot of players that are going to be dealing with some grief and trying to just get back in the swing of things. But I think a real interesting player to watch for, for the White Sox is Wellington Castillo. That's yeah. a really interesting one. A lot of fans wouldn't think that's like a key player to watch for the team. You know, you're looking at the top hitters, Abreu, Delmonico, Adam Angel's one, but... Wellington Castillo, now there's something I caught when we faced the Cubs, actually, as a matter of fact, in spring training a little while back. Uh, I believe it was Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson, they were on their broadcast, and they talked about uh, Wellington Castillo's development with the, the new team. You know, good move by Rick to get him. I think something I heard that was really intriguing, the White Sox have enough young arms to where they could easily, in my opinion, create a rotation and whole bullpen in the major leagues of just young pitchers, mm-hmm. the way they are they stockpile even before the rebuild. And they raved about how well Wellington has helped the pitchers. And he was pitching, uh, G.O.E.L. was pitching with him that game, actually. And it it just makes you think, you know, uh, you have a veteran catcher, really good hitter. But also, you get to see another side of him. A lot of Sox fans saw his bat last year when they faced Baltimore. But they get to see, you know, the leader and the fielding approach and, I think that just bodes really well for the White Sox.
1: Yeah, so do I. A veteran guy who's been with the Cubs, the Orioles. uh, You've seen him with the Diamondbacks, a guy that, you know, I think you're really going to see, you know, provide a big help. You know, we talked about uh, what Kilpatrick's going to mean with the Bulls as far as a veteran goes. I think uh, to have, you know, obviously many people talk about how the catcher needs to be like the captain. You know, obviously the shortstop's usually deemed the captain of the infield, but obviously the catcher. Uh, sometimes unless you're talking about, you know, like Derek Jeter or something at shortstop, most of the times the catcher is going to be the, the vocal guy. Uh, and, and I think he's going to be able to provide that for a young White Sox team. Uh, he's still got a very nice bat and, uh, I, I think he's going to provide, you know, a lot of insight as far as uh, pitching goes. Uh, you mentioned how he caught, uh, Gialito, and, and there's nothing that, you know, Castillo hasn't seen in his career. Uh, you know, he's seen a lot of good outings, a lot of bad outings, and I think he's going to be able to provide a lot <laughs> yeah. of insight uh, as far as, you know, everyday lineups go uh, for pitchers, as far as, like, a scouting report. And then, obviously, mid-game, Uh, you know, he's a guy who's called how many major league games now at this point? Quite a bit. Yeah, so, very good uh, resume. So, so I think it's going to be – I think it's a nice fit. Again, it's a guy who – Maybe not, Maybe won't be there when the White Sox finally get over the bridge and win an a- AL pennant in a, in, a, in a World Series title, but he's a guy that's certainly going to contribute uh, to that team getting to that point. And so I think he's going to provide a big, uh, a big uh, role for this team this season. As Mike mentioned, Wellington
0: Castillo, the veteran catcher, will be making his season debut with the Chicago White Sox as a young South Siders, as we will call them from now on here on the show. They are taking on the Kansas City Royals in the Royals' home opener. Hopefully White Sox win. That'll be a 3.15 p.m. tip-off. You can tune into 720, the new White Sox radio station, and CSN NBC Sports Correction, Chicago. So, Mike, we're going to go into your bread and butter yeah. of professional I baseball. It. It's time to talk some Chicago Cubs. Now, something I've been really impressed with as a White Sox fan, just to open with, You know, the pitching has been really impressive. Mm -hmm. I know we're getting ready for fantasy baseball drafts and (laughs) getting ready to pick what pitchers we think are going to be really good. You know, Darvish, Quintana's a personal favorite of mine. Glad you guys are treating him well. (laughs) Um, But they're they're facing the Marlins, Jeter's Marlins. Jeter's opening with his new team in the uh, the first season with him as owner. So the Cubs have not just the pitching improvements, but the hitting improvements with Ian Happ up the line. They have really solid hitting. How do you feel this pitching could maybe
1: be put to a good uh, test against the Marlins? Well, obviously the one thing that you kind of wish you would be able to see for the Marlins, uh, but at the same time you're glad you don't have to see is Giancarlo Stanton. Oh, I couldn't uh, agree more. But he's in New York, right? Yeah. The one thing that you know you kind of wish you might have you know wanted to see was. You know how some of these guys fare against a hitter like Giancarlo. You see him crushing the ball in spring training right now, um, and so you would have liked to seen how uh, John Lester, who uh, kind of had a drop-off year in 2017 as compared to 2016, you would have liked to maybe see him face Giancarlo three times a game, or you know, or it's early in the year, so maybe two times around the lineup. Uh, but you would like to see him face Giancarlo a time or two. Uh, obviously, the new guy, Hugh Darvish, you Darvish, you'd like to see him, uh, and then obviously uh, Kyle Hendricks would probably get another uh go at, at the Marlins and so you'd like to see how uh you know in his third year in a big, big role for the Cubs um <coughs> how he, you know, fares against a team like the Marlins who would have a big bat in the middle of the lineup. But yeah, I think this might be one of the best pitching stabs uh that the Cubs have had in quite some time. And you look back, and obviously you lose Jake Arrieta, who is going to be the, the ace for the Phillies Very now incredible for Philly under, yeah. Aaron,
0: under Aaron all there. And yeah.
1: uh, so, it, it, you know, it's going to be a different rotation. It's a different look. Obviously, you still have three of the same guys um, as, as far as last year goes. Obviously, bringing back Quintana was huge. Um, and then Tyler Chetwood, I think, is going to provide a really a nice – wild card, definitely, yeah. in my opinion. Especially, very good. Very good at the back end of that rotation. I think this is one of the best rotations you might see – um, so I think early on, I think if they can, you know, go out scratch a few quality starts off, and uh, you know, give the Cubs a chance to win, I think that's all you're asking for. Well, He's, they got the, Starlin the,
0: Castro's bat against them, <laughs> no? a former uh, action
1: for the Cubs, eh? Yeah, which is, you know, for for him, it's got to be bittersweet opening day. Uh, you know you you saw how his career kind of ended with the Cubs in two thousand and fifteen. He gets a second shot right he gets a second shot, and the thing about you know Starlin was he was here through those brutal years him and him and Rizzo were really the two jerseys you saw around Wrigley Field and Cubs fans. Uh, during that time when they struggled, it was Rizzo and Castro. And then, you know, the 2015 season comes around and you get Lester. Uh, you, know, you, you have Joe Madden in the dugout and you have all those guys kind of break out. And then, you know, there really was no room for Starling Castro anymore. So it's, it's a guy you feel bad for because, you know, when you grew up and you were little, you were watching Starling Castro grow as a cub. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> I can remember his debut as a cub. Uh, but uh, so it, it'll be nice to see uh, Castro in the lineup. And again, a veteran hitter, so a guy that. You know, has been around the league a few times and can, uh, you know, put a few quality at bats together against a good Cubs pitching staff. As Mike mentioned, the Cubs will be featuring a new identity
0: uh, this year. Very improved pitching uh, up the line. They had a lot of off-season coaching changes as well. They brought in Coach uh, Hickey, who was uh, in Tampa Bay for quite mm-hmm. a while with Joe Man. Really good move by the Cubs. A new hitting coach that I believe was with a key part of the Boston Red Sox mm-hmm. hitting uh revamp so i think the cubs you know they, they lost even martinez but i think he's gonna right. be really good in washington and i wish the cubs nothing but the best of luck against <laughs> jeter's marlins and uh Derek jeter i'm sorry uh but from Kid fourth quarter special we have uh the cubby's beating your
1: Marlins. so sorry Derek jeter I, i'm right there with you sorry Derek, and i'm not too sorry because i'm not a big yankee guy i you know all the winning they've done and they get Giancarlo. carlo uh uh, I'm not too sorry, Derek, but uh, we can hope that the Cubs at least beat the Yankees in the and World show Series. They uh, <laughs> show them how to rebuild the team. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, Mike, we're going to do the
0: segment that everybody looks forward to. I mean, you know you were so excited about it, uh, getting your shot at it. Will's Sports Movie Moment. We all have our favorite moments, not just in the sports we watch, but in our own favorite sports movies. This segment gives myself, my guest co-host, and our listeners a chance to pick their favorite moment from their favorite sports movie and compare it to modern-day sports. Listeners can hop onto the podcast Facebook and Twitter page and post their own favorite sports movie moments to share with us on studio here. Mike, I'm going to start here. A very interesting movie choice, and I think it's going to have to go with what happened with Zeke Upshaw, you know, uh, with a player's death just impacting the team. We were talking about that prediction we have where Mm -hmm. Illinois State will just embrace it. It's We Are Marshall. We haven't talked about it a lot on this show. I'm honored to be the first one to talk about it. It's just a... When, when I'm growing up as a, when you're growing up as a sports fan and you see these impactful true story movies, that's just one that really hits you. You know, you're a football fan and you know, a team in West Virginia, it's not just professional; it's collegiate though. And you know, this is a school that just, that team was like part of their identity and to have that stripped from them from a plane crash, it was just so heartbreaking. And the seventies, you know, really big time for college football, especially. And, Coach Jake Lengel, he just, he, he brought it together, and uh, you know, that, it almost, I wouldn't say ISU's team's in the same spot, but the scene for me was, they're getting ready to play Xavier, and there's a moment where they go to the cemetery where those players are resting, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. no, they're not actually there, but they have, right. like, the memorial and everything there for the team, and he, he talks to them, you know, it's gonna be your chance to stand, you know, stand, and you know, they're going to be watching you. You you have a city behind you. You have a school's future, the program's future behind you, because there were people breathing down their necks about it. And, you know, he says, What are you guys going to do? Are you going to, you know, let them be remembered the right way? Or are you guys going to fail? And you could just tell he believed in them. And I, a lot of credit to Magic McConaughey. Right. He acted the part. Oh, man, he on the was movie, awesome. He was awesome. But I think that's going to be my scene. And that team just went at it and. They took on Xavier. You know, that was almost like a title win for them. Even yeah. though it was a regular game. And, you know, it, their program obviously panned out pretty well. They were in the NCAA tournament, too. Yeah. So that's going to be my uh, movie moment. Mr. Marr, what do you have for us?
1: Uh, my favorite sports movie moment has to be uh, Friday Night Lights. Uh, it, it, weird picture Interesting, yeah. Uh the ending to that one, obviously there's a lot of build up. You know, they they roll through the state playoffs, or I shouldn't even you know, obviously you, you go back to that movie with Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, you know, they you know the Permian Panthers get into the, the state playoffs by a coin flip. Little spoiler there, guys. Yeah, sorry <laughs> anybody who hasn't seen it. Uh, you know, they went they get in by a coin flip, they roll through the state <laughs> playoffs, and then you know they play uh Dallas Carter, who is, you know, full of nothing but NFL players, division one prospects, uh, and they're getting rolled into halftime and Uh, Billy Bob Thornton gives, you know, one of those, you know, super feel good uh, speeches, you know, you know, look at your brother next to you and look into his eyes and tell him that you love him and tell him that, you know, you know, that you're going to give everything you've got in in the second half and give your best. And, you know, they go out in the second half. Uh, and, and they fall short by an inch or two, and that's how the game ends. And you, you know, it, it kind of it hits you right in the fields. It's kind of one of those movies that hits you right in the fields because you, uh, you feel right in there with them. And it's one of those, it's one of those movies that just, you know you kind of grip. You're the seat, on the edge of your seat. Exactly. Your feet in the upper yeah, position. And you really feel like, uh, and you really feel like you're you're part of it. Or you're the one running with the football um and that to me has always been one of my favorite sports movie moments even though it's a sadder one uh it's just probably one of my favorite uh, sounds like it leaves a really good impact that oh moment. man it's it's a very good movie anybody who has not seen
0: it i just oh, i, suggest to see I it. have not seen it yet either a little uh sad note for me there it's, it's
1: very good it's very good i, I recommend it I a hundred percent recommend it it's very very good um and so that that's my favorite sports movie moment that is all the time we have an episode 10 of Will's
0: fifth quarter special. Tune in next time to join in to touch on the continued conference play for the IC baseball and softball teams, updated early regular season coverage for the Chicago White Sox and Cubs. More continued off season coverage for the Chicago Bears as it comes forward to the upcoming draft. The Chicago Bulls, where they will continue to fare towards the end of their rebuild year one season, and we'll always follow Will Sports movie moment. Reach out to us on Will's fifth quarter special Facebook page, our website, contact me page, williamdfarlow.com. We're also on Snapchat and on Twitter. I want to thank my guest co-host, Mike Mara, for joining me. It was a fun 30-minute talking sports. So, Mike, pleasure to have you. Can't wait to have you back on in
1: the future. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was a great time. It was a great, great time. When the fourth quarter buzzer sounds,
0: turn to us for your fifth quarter sports talk. I'm your host, Will Farlow. My guest co-host, Mike Mara, saying so long from Will's fifth quarter special.